Hello and welcome to A Star to Steer Her by 10 Forward, number 19. Hot dog. Chaos on the Bridge. I'm sorry, that's not the full title. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that's right. William Shatner presents a William Shatner joint directed by William Shatner. William Shatner's Chaos on the Bridge executive producer, William Shatner and someone named Decibel. Like legit, who names their kid Decibel? Someone that's really real loud. Name. Mm. I feel like Elon Musk would name their kid Decibel. That's true. He is an asshole. <laughs> So, I am Chris, and I hate everyone else involved with this, including... Me, Ames. And me, Caitlin? Definitely me, Jake. We all knew it. <laughs> yes, we realized, you know what? We never watched the documentary Chaos on the Bridge about the painful early days of Star Trek The Next Generation. So we thought, you know, let's plop it in here between seasons six and seven of DS9, because spoiler alert, we're definitely going to cap off our DS9 watch with what we left behind. Or is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah. The DS9 called, documentary. William yeah. Shatner presents. Yes. No, 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 that one actually is uh, Carl Urban presents. Is it? Carl oh. Urban. No. Which Carl Urban do we get, though? Literally all of them. He's so multifaceted. McCoy, the Lord of the Rings one, the Thor one, Judge Dredd. He's just got Chronicles gonna... of Riddick. Yes. Hot. Yes. That's his He's... best one. I did not know he was in that. Unf. Wow. Oh my. I don't unf very often, but that's a, that's an unf. I hear Chronicles of Riddick is delightfully weird, kind of shitty good. So it's yeah, that and like Pitch Black, the uh, the original Riddick movie, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I like Pitch Black better. Pitch Black oh. has Claudia Black, and she's great. But That's we're not true. talking about that this week. <laughs> no, that'll be a ten forward in the future. Yeah, we'll do the Pitch Black series. I don't know if there's any is other than Carl Urban in the second one. I don't know if there's any other Star Trek connection. Though. That's okay. I mean, at this point, we've just, you know. It's wacky ass, so pseudo sci fi kind of weird shit. And, and we're Dame, into that. And Dame Judy Dench is in the second one, too, she which is, is. just fun. Mm -hmm. I love Judy Dench. So, yes, yes. Uh, Chaos on the Bridge, brought to you by William Shatner. And, uh, oh boy. You get so much William Shatner he face. He is melting throughout this movie. And this is from 2014, so this is a while ago. His eyes just look really wet throughout. His whole face looked really wet throughout. Yeah, like, but I, I mean, like, yeah, that's, yeah. It is quite warm in California. Like, how I mean, often did I joke, Jake, while we're watching, like, oh my, Bill Shatner, you must have the meat sweats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was like he 82, had... 83 at the time. Yeah. So Ames, it's not the meat sweats. He's just a fat guy. Yeah. It's, it's different. So the general sweats. That's chronic general sweats. That's chronic sweats. <laughs> fat guy sweats, not a... To to steal a joke from um, Kevin James stand-up. You're a fat guy. You don't need an excuse to sweat. You know, someone sees me, he's like, what were you doing? Jumping jacks in the attic? I peeled an orange. <laughs> like an hour ago. I would say if you attribute it to the guy, he's really just borrowing it. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that was a borrowed joke. That's fair. Credit Still to a good oh, joke. Fuck. I think you know what would have been a great documentary? Well, not documentary. Great movie. Okay. Uh, William Shatner presents Mall Paul Blart Mall Cop. Chaos um, on the Mall. <laughs> Pitch no. Black, the Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> William Shatner and Jonathan Frakes get shit faced. And do a bar crawl in Los Angeles. And then dance on set because they were having so much fun together. Yeah, I did not like they were clearly just 
loving one another's company. It was like, holy shit, this is the best part of I, this otherwise dour experience. I put most of it on Frakes. Just, yeah. I, I'm sure he just walked in and said, I'm going to be a delight because this is some serious subject matter that we're going to talk about this week. And I'm awesome. It's remarkable how much William Shatner and Jonathan Frakes have aged in a parallel manner. Where like they both start as like, handsome leading man guys and they have aged into like somewhat paunchy but like not wholly unattractive older men but just yeah freaks is definitely more evenly distributed <laughs> yeah i'd go I with don't that know. Like I think Shatner, Shatner's face was Shatner's head is as fat as his ass. I mean, I think I think Shatner. I gotta. I mean, Shatner for as much as he was melting in this thing, he looks pretty good for his age. Oh, I will not look that good at. I won't look that good at sixty. I'm not yeah, gonna exactly. live that long. Never mind. Look that good. I'll um, be in a box when I'm ninety. Oh God. Yeah. No, Shatner. Shatner looks really quite good for his age there. And, and to this day, I mean, the man's 90 now and Jesus Christ. I don't know. Just um, the expression is like there was every between most takes. It would just cut to an expression of Shatner looking dumbfounded by what was being discussed. This like is definitely a mix of dumbfounding and delight. Yeah. Like this, this definitely proves why most of these sort of documentaries nowadays don't show you the interviewer. Yeah. <laughs> and they just are like the only times it felt really useful to have him there was again when he was bantering with Frakes and the one time where I forget who it was, but somebody said to him. So like, so yeah, when they said they were bringing it back, but you weren't involved. What was that like? Because it was sort of interviewing him. Yeah. Briefly. But aside from that, it's like, yeah, there's a reason modern documentaries, you know, unless it's someone who's like a famous interviewer. Yeah. Or it's a conversation that they're trying to have. They're not trying to make it sound documentary style. They're trying to make it sound conversation style. Yeah. Which this, if it was trying to make it sound conversation style, it failed. It was, it, it's a documentary that, you know, because this is from 2014. I think it came to Prime and Netflix in 2015. And I feel like documentary style media has really, really like found a new style in the last couple of years. Because mm -hmm. you're seeing documentaries fucking everywhere. And this, uh, this style of this one was all over the place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really kind of hard to follow. I mean, but you see, I don't know if that was ever really a style. I think that was the style of this documentary. Like, just the sort of... It and was, never it again? It was very frenetic, and especially the beginning part, where it just kind of, like, was doing that thing where it jumped from person to person, finishing oh. each other's sentences. Yeah, talking about, like, Gene Roddenberry. He was so nice. He was a real fucking asshole. He was just a really decent guy. Like... Like that's something about that stuff. That is something you do still see where it's like the intro. They'll be showing you like little clips of the interviews that are going to be coming. So that then, yeah, later on, you get the bigger context. But well, yeah, it didn't work as well here. Well, that wasn't even the point of it, though. I think that was just at, in the beginning of this one. It was meant to show you, you know, what a multifaceted person Gene Roddenberry was and how how he was so many different things to so many different people. But just as the structure of, you know, that was the beginning, but like, I feel like the whole film kind of lacked a lot of structure. And it, it tried to have any it, through line at all. It right. tried to have two different through lines, both of which it abandoned. What would you what say those I? two through lines were? The poker game metaphor, which yep. was tortured. Very stretched. Ugh. But it was also and like there was a comic book element yep. too, yep. which didn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, I hated the drawings. Yeah. The, um, the There's one like, in particular I would like to bitch about later. Um, I'll make it the thumbnail for this don't episode. You mean Please do. About? But there's, so yeah, the, 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 the poker game metaphor and the whole like fading power thing, which they sort of kept going back to, but not well. And Yeah, well, you know what, though? They couldn't have gone too hard on that because then they would have had to have like admitted the elephant in the room, which is like, hey, Shatner, how did it feel to not be the captain anymore and have it be like taken over? How did it feel to have the most popular show be this one and have it like completely surpass you in basically every way? Like, I feel like... If they had gone down that path, it would have gotten real ugly for Shatner real fast. Oh no, Maybe. Shatner's Shatner's. Uh, Shatner I wonder if it did. William and it's, Shatner storming offset. It's all on the on the editing room floor. That's the problem. They were like, okay, we're gonna stop going down this alleyway because uh, Shatner's crying. I've heard him like bitch out like you know uh, 
what was it? It was on like the Howard Stern show where they had like a clip of him like chewing out some guy who was just trying to like direct him on a read. And he like kind of behaved like a little bit of a dickhead. Mm. I don't know. Oh my God. Yeah, the, he was actoring as hard as he could. Like the, the intro scene oh where he like God. addresses the camera and he's giving the introduction to this documentary. I'm like, oh, Shatner, what take are you on? This must be one of the last ones because you, you look you look like no. you've been trying all day. No, I guarantee you that's one of the early ones. Yeah. Because I I watched the, um, if you watch the special features that go with Wrath of Khan. Right, right, with Nicholas, Nicholas Meyer, right? Yep. He realized the secret director to directing Shatner is do a lot of takes because eventually he gets bored and starts acting. But hmm. here he's directing himself. Yeah. So. Ooh. Well, that worked really great in Star Trek V. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that that actually makes a lot of sense that the that the Nick Meyer directed Star Treks are, are like, huh? Yeah, you actually got some decent performances out of Shatner here because he stops hamming it up because he's starting to get tired, so he yeah. just acts. <laughs> he's just gonna wear him out a little. Yeah, no, that's ex- <laughs> that's ex- the little guy out. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Look at him sleeping like a baby. <laughs> like the example he gave was when Shatner has to go. Here it comes. Into when they're sending the uh, Reliance whatever code to shut it down. He said, just deliver it flat. But for the first bunch of takes, he kept having this little, like, lilt in it, mm-hmm. like a little teasing, like, thing. And he was like, eventually he just got him bored and he just delivered it the way Myers wanted. I'm imagining in the beginning, he's delivering it like Gene Wilder at the end of Willy Wonka when they're about to go through the ceiling with, in the great glass. Here it comes! <laughs> <laughs> they were just like, oh, bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> I think, too, part of the issue, though, is that they wanted to focus strictly on Next Gen and its birth, which is fine. But the problem is... It's birthed out of TOS, though. And the other thing is, you can't talk about the end of Roddenberry's life without discussing Star Trek VI, and they didn't. I was going to say, but they did. That's true, they didn't. Like, Nicholas Meyer is back. Mm-hmm. And rather infamously, which they left out of this, he died the day after watching an early cut of Six. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, I know I know we've joked that Six killed him and all this thing. Roddenberry was already, like, real bad. Yeah, no, I, I admit the one thing. I, that picture. Go ahead. The one Sorry. thing I learned from this. Well, the two things I learned. One of the two things I learned from this was just how ill he already was. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize they talked about how he had, like, the series on mini strokes and one day just spun in a circle and ran into a wall. It's like, Jesus. I feel like I missed that. How did I miss that? I don't know, because I reiterated it at the time. <laughs> I think Caitlin um, may have had a series of mini strokes. And then I spun around and ran into a wall. Maybe that's why I forgot things. about it. <laughs> wow. But yeah, but yeah gonna... talking about, like, all the, like, Roddenberry's kind of journey at the end there, but this this I, I remember this documentary a little differently because Jake and I had seen it before, and I don't think I realized at the time that it's really only covering the first couple of seasons of Next Gen because after then they hit their stride and it was like okay they're off now and it, there's nothing interesting to cover anymore because everybody's friends. Yeah, and I realized oh it just it doesn't even cover the end of the show. It doesn't cover when it overlaps with like five and six. No, nope. it just kind of. Yeah, this, the the whole documentary is just like, and then, you know, the rest of it happened. Check. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I get it. You want to have a focus, but it does feel like they're leaving out a lot by not even kind of touching on P.S. During all these arguing, he was also arguing with Meyer over six. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I, f- I don't know. I just also think that, I don't know, the scope of this documentary was basically Roddenberry checking out of star trek or being checked out or being so it didn't out. feel very uh voluntary necessarily uh, so like it's but it, it's hard for me not to want to judge this as a documentary about the creation of star trek the next generation which i'm sure is would be a very interesting topic in a in a different movie yeah i remember this... they talking about yarmore and it really didn't no this because this is our first time seeing it and you know i'm i'm not someone who like sits there and defends Roddenberry tooth and nail. You know, he was a deeply flawed man throughout his life. But wow, did this just feel like a hit piece. Like, Mm. it was like, with, you know, it felt a lot like if you've ever sat and talked to somebody who had a really bad divorce, Mm. 
it's like listening to them talk about their ex and like they're still mad about it 25 years later. Yeah, and you're only getting that side of the story because we're not going to get Gene's side of the story because he's dead. Yeah, and like, you know, and then the sort of the, you know, and I mean, there's still something of a spectrum. You know, the old secretary seems to really be quite on his side. Oh, yeah, Sackett. I can't remember her name. Susan Sackett. Thank you. And then there was the uh, former PA as well, who was fairly sympathetic, but they didn't talk to him as much. You know, what's actually really fascinating is that the one thing I did learn about this documentary off of the Memory Alpha is that, so Maurice Hurley, who was one of the, you know, focused characters in this whole thing, and when he left after season two, he didn't talk Star Trek at all. Like, basically, he didn't make any public statements about his time with Star Trek at all until this documentary. Oh, wow. Oh, like, wow. this documentary is is what he agreed to. He said, okay, I'll finally start, uh, tell my side of the story. I'll finally start talking Star Trek with Shatner, and this is where I'll get it out. And then... Between when it first aired in Canada and when it started airing in the United States, he died. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess he had to get it off his chest. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, because like, I know since this came out, he died. DC Fontana passed yeah. away. I don't know if anyone else had. I meant to look into that and forgot. But yeah, there's just something about the tone of it that just feels so ugly. Mm. And it makes it kind of hard to watch. It might well, be all, so the, all the goofy music and shit, well, though. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they also, they spent a lot of time with, uh, what was his name? John Pike. Yeah. The the mm. studio exec. Yeah, the Paramount guy. Who like. Who is basically Jellico and is hilarious. He just talked a lot of business, it felt like. Like, he didn't really talk about any of the interesting shit. He was no, just but like, he, but he we shopped lot. it around to CBS. Yeah. I, we talked about how he, he gave Patrick Stewart a dressing down and. Made him yeah. wait in the cat in the uh, the restaurant or wherever yeah. it was. Like he yeah, he literally cafeteria. pulled a jellico on Patrick Stewart. He was like, "The Cardassians don't respect you if you show up on time." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you definitely get the sense. Like this is a this is a studio guy. This is not a man. I think who enjoys science fiction. Because mm. like Encounter at Farpoint is a little weird, a little uneven. It is two episodes crushed together, quite literally. But it's not as incomprehensible as he seemed to think it was. Right, yeah. Like, like he, he said everyone else in the room loved it, and I was like, why? Yeah, like, he With doesn't my strike... my waddle. <laughs> he doesn't strike me as the kind of man who indulges in genre anything, mm. you know? Well, it also seemed like... I mean, it was him that was insistent that it be a two-hour premiere, so it may have made more sense to him yeah. in an episode if it had stuck with the original... Fontana script, Might have, maybe? yeah, maybe. There's an idea. Like, I agree. I think, you know, as much as I like Q as a character, if you just do the Farpoint story, that is a solid episode, and the Q stuff really kind of feels bolted on. Oh, yeah, but I, I love like, the Q stuff so much. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, I mean, the, the importance of the character to TNG in Star Trek overall can't be overstated, but maybe he'd been introduced in his own episode. I don't even know. I think, I think... Watching this documentary made me learn a lot about Roddenberry's atheism and more mm. towards like humanism because they talk about how a lot of the stuff about, you know, putting the characters in the box and making the writers keep the characters in the box so that they don't have interpersonal conflicts and stuff. Like I look at so much of it as this is where Roddenberry thinks humanity is going. He thinks everything's going to be utopic because he's looking at humanity as being the religion. He's looking at yeah. humanism as being like where where we're headed as a as a society, which is very interesting because then you look at Q and Q is there to judge this society and find it good. Someone says, and I forget who it is. I think it was uh, Braga. Braga. Braga says, oh, Q is God. And I'm like, no, that's the thing is he's not because in in Gene's mind, there isn't God, there's humanity. And we're, we're, we're looking at humanity as how progressive they can get. And that was fascinating. Yeah, Q is not God. If he's a God, he's like a trickster God. He's not the Judeo-Christian God. He's a judge. He's a judge yeah. and he finds hum he finds humanity to be good, which is exactly what Gene's kind of equivalent of religion is. Well, he mm. finds Picard to be good. The rest <laughs> of them can fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, eat it, Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I kind of like that because as much as like the writers like said, God damn it, it's impossible to write, which, yeah, it is because 
inter- interpersonal conflicts is the the bread and butter of a writer. I get it that that's what Gene wanted. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with it, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, you know, Muldar even, when they were talking to her briefly, just sort of nailed, I forget exactly how she described TNG as compared to TOS. She said it was a lot of technology with people stuck in it or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and that's definitely what the episodes in the first two seasons could feel like sometimes. Yeah, she said, like, in TOS, you're surrounded by all these characters. In TNG, you're surrounded by all this technology. Yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, something, you know, I th- it was, I can't remember if it was Moore or Tracy Torme that said how the early, I think it was, I think it was Ronald D. Moore said that, like, the early seasons were bad in a lot of respects because they were just very plot driven, because you couldn't write drama about the cast like you had the drama had to be in the plot you couldn't have any character drama yeah it had to be coming from whatever the thing you were exploring was right so then you know and that just can be very challenging and frankly very boring because you don't get a feeling at all for those characters you don't know what they are as as people and then you know season three and up they started to make it more of a character driven show yeah, when Pillar came in, when when Gene was gone, Hurley was gone, Pillar comes in and he's this kind of golden boy who says, we're going to do it in a way that makes fucking sense. Well, what kills you with Hurley is like he talks about towards the end having to argue with Gene over breaking away from his own idea. And it's like, maybe it's because he realized it wasn't working, Hurls. Mm-hmm. Like, let him, you Miami Vice weirdo. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> another one that was not a sci-fi guy. And what is he yeah. even doing here? Made no Neck sense. waddling it up. Mm. Yeah, that was quite the waddle. <laughs> so much waddle. So, uh, you, we touched on the comics earlier. The weird drawings. Yeah. And, um... And the 3D-ish oh, that's just layering effect that was... That that was a thing that was tiring. really big in the 20... Like, from, like, every documentary in the world did that for, like, a while, starting around 2010. Yeah, the, the 2.5D, I think, is, is mm. the, the phrase. Yeah, like, they loved doing that. I think they still do sometimes, but that, yeah, like, we, we cut out a picture and, like, made a fake 3D effect, and fucking everyone, even better documentaries do it for some reason. But, uh, the drawing of Gene's lawyer. Which um, one? All of them. <laughs> Felt like a hate crime. I was gonna say well, the one that looked like guy. it was a uh, 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 Goebbels special. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like I get. It's like ooh, guys. I ooh, wow. Could, ooh. Well, you talking about the one in particular where he was like sneering? Yeah, there, yeah. yeah. I mean, none of them were really, good, but that one was really bad. It was really bad. It was like guys. I don't. Because thing is like, like maybe he really did look like that, but the drawing doesn't look great like guys maybe this is the like is that thing you look at a lot of the drawings compared to the people they're supposed to be you can they're pretty accurate yeah the problem is we never actually see the real lawyer so we don't know and i'm just like guys even if that is actually what he looked like maybe you should have lied this time especially because he feels like he's one of the few like real antagonists yeah yeah the the story it's like and this asshole went around Looking through people's computers and like, you well, know, like one of the funny anecdotes like, ha ha ha, is somebody talked about how they r- wished they'd murdered him by throwing him out of a window. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hope you <laughs> I hope you die. Hope and you're like, having a heart attack. He said uh, another one. Right. Wasn't it? Another yeah. Like that? Yeah. Like, Holy shit. Like, like, I think might have been a real piece of shit, but he probably using I believe everything they said about him. Mm. But maybe when you draw him. Don't make him look like Nazi propaganda because like everyone can relate to hating lawyers. That's like just that that goes back to Shakespeare. But yeah, again and again, if that is actually you show me a photo of the guy, it's like, oh, wow, that is actually what he looked like. Do something because it really just felt like and again, especially I mean, it's Shatner. Shatner's Jewish. I doubt it was on purpose, but it's like, oof. This makes me like every time they showed his little doodle, I was just like, ah, ha, 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 he don't enjoy this. It was extremely uncomfortable. And I think that it was added to the discomfort there is that they really didn't. There was one fella who seemed to be of East Asian descent. But in spite of the fact that there were at least casting wise, a fairly diverse group of people that they could have had on. They really mostly had mostly white dudes and a couple of white women. Yeah, in well, terms I mean, of that's... who they were interviewing or what? Well, yeah, like we could have seen, 
We could have seen LeVar Burton. We could have seen Michael Dorn. Well, that's the thing. It's like who, I mean, they may have asked everyone, but it's a question of who shows up, you know? Yeah. And then it turns into a question of what, what is the story you're telling? And so much of the story they were telling was about the production of the show and only occasionally like little hints about, you know, what was going on, like on, on stage in, in the writing rooms and stuff. But there was so much that was about the production. And when you get these producers, they're all old white guys. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I would love to. I, I do wish that either more of the actors had shown up or they had spent more time with the actors they did have, because, like, how did this madness on the back end translate to the actors? Well, you know? and, and I feel like what's her head? What the fuck? Denise Gates? Crosby. Oh, Denise. No, I feel like Denise Crosby got like almost the most screen time of anyone. And she was like barely in the show. Like, I feel like aside from Patrick Stewart, who got a couple of shots, I feel like Tasha Yar there really got a lot of screen time. Mm. Yeah, and they barely even talked about her leaving the show. It was like the quickest thing, like, oh, Denise wants to do movies and then she's gone. Well, and they also like made fun of her. Oh, they did. It was the guy was like, yeah, she uh, wasn't much of an actress or what she wasn't. No, she she went off to be a. She was no Catherine Hepburn, but she went off to be a movie star was that, was or that, whatever. Was that Jellico that did that? Yeah, yeah it was yeah, Jellico. Yeah, really and then the eye roll. He, he really does seem like kind Sick of a prick. Burn. Well, of course he is. He's like the head of whatever the fuck he was doing. Like, you don't, you don't raise. It's like, I remember saying people, lots of people have said, you know, Jeff Bezos could literally fix everything wrong in the world. And then the response is always, yeah, but you don't get to be where Jeff Bezos is by not being a piece of shit. So I would say the same of this guy, you know? Well, I, and I actually kind of now wonder if the character of Jellico was in any way based (laughs) on this guy. I was about to say that. Just based on like his demeanor and like the Patrick Stewart story is just straight up the story, the thing that Jellico does in the episode. So it's like, I would, I would buy that Jellico might be based on this guy. Yeah. That would actually be kind of amazing. Yeah. That's a shame because I still like Jellico. Damn it. <laughs> if only he would have told some really bad Jellico style jokes. <clears throat> I don't know. Jellico got Marina Sirtis in a, in a uniform. I don't think this guy would ever do that. Yeah, that's mm. probably true. Oh, yeah, it was boy. interesting the cat. So they got it was interesting the cast people they did not get most of them to, to interview. Yeah, like yeah, like uh, Dorn shows up for everything. How could you not get Dorn? Spiner shows up if you just like wave a wave a one of Chekhov's old ham sandwiches. He comes <laughs> running. <laughs> yeah, or like you know you submit you say that you know they they put a lot they give a lot of screen time here to Denise. But they didn't get Cerdis, you know, who no, probably has yeah. just as many war stories, if not many more. She has a lot. Know? Well, she probably has seven times more. She stuck around for the whole show. Well, also just like, you know, she was the person that was forced to wear that fucking outfit <laughs> the whole time, oh, you know? so bad. Yeah, there is an excellent article I read just about the treatment, the treatment of women on Star Trek, both on the screen and what you don't see behind the scenes. Mm. Um, which I might share because it also t- touches a, b- a little bit upon like how Terry Farrell was treated on the show, which is yeah. unfortunate as fuck yeah. in terms of like how she had lots of ideas and they always got shot down. And it was always like, oh, honey, you realize you're here to be tits, right? Until mm. she's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. And then it was like, so much with Marita Sirtis because like she never got to have a say when Denise left. It was like, okay, now literally the the woman we have left because Gates is gone too. The woman we have left is Marina Sirtis. Mm. We have to make sure she stays in the sexiest costumes, keep her thin to the point that she goes out of her goddamn mind because she can't eat food because she won't fit in the costume otherwise. Well, so it was really cruel of them to make her so obsessed with chocolate, those assholes. Yeah, but she never gets to actually eat it. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's like, uh, Real art imitating that life. That's awful. Okay, but here's the here's the flaw in that idea, though. Her uniform, her her outfit wasn't sexy. It was no. awful. Well, the nineties, it was late eighties sexy. Yeah. I, well, it's because she got those sexy, sexy collarbones. See, I was about to say I am freaked out by overdefined collarbones to this day. Mm. <laughs> I, yeah, as a child, I genuinely kept waiting for Patrick Stewart to trip and, like, cut his face open on her collarbones. Oh, no. Well, and that's because they apparently never let her eat. So, yeah. Well, there you no, go. explains a lot. That's fucked up. 
But yeah, but they didn't want to get into that. You know, they just wanted to they wanted to talk about how one poor man was losing his grip on something. And, you know, I don't know. There was no room for that. There's no room for that. We we have to feel bad for Gene Roddenberry in this one. Well, I get did it want us to feel bad for him though? No, like it, 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 it vilified him, I think. Through a lot yeah, of like it really, like I said, it felt like a hit piece. I was It should have been written by Jake Sisko because Jake Sisko gives you both sides of the story. There yes, we that's go. That's true. Let write it both. Let the people decide. Yeah, no, it was like <sighs> But maybe they just had that hard of a time finding like they found like two people that had good things to say about Roddenberry in of that era, and maybe there's just nobody left to to speak up for him. Well, like they said, like in the first two seasons of TNG, Roddenberry had brought in a bunch of his people. Like he brought in Fontana, he brought in oh the name is gone, Derek, David Gerald. He brought in all these folk, and by the end of season one, season two, whenever they were all gone. Yeah, well, I think what's and that's what one thing that became very unclear throughout the course of the documentary, though, was like, who was behind what, you know? Mm -hmm. What was Pike? What was Roddenberry? What was Goebbels' wet dream poster boy? Like, they kind of implied, but never really got into, like, you know, the lawyer almost sounded worm-tonguey sometimes. Yeah. Um, And it's like, it, it feels like there was not enough that was... There's either too much left unexamined or they left out information, again, regarding, like, what was Gene? What was the studio? Yeah, this was an hour documentary. Like, it came in, like, basically at 59 minutes. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, oh, it just ended. And I felt like there was so much more room it could have played. Like, did was it required that it had to fit in an hour? Why didn't they take more time? Yeah, and, like, you can still, even if you can only find these sort of sources and this is what they say, you know, there's still ways to, like counterbalance you know they could have gone more into you know the fact that he was having these really major health issues and what was being done about them you know aside from sending him to rehab for drinking every weekend like yeah like i'm not saying they had to frame him as a good guy but they could have tried to provide some amount of like perspective beyond the 25 year old grievances of a bunch of people yeah even just a little bit more sympathetic yeah, because it's like you said, they're talking about all these illnesses. And even then, it's like they're almost like making fun of him. Oh, and Majel had to pour him into the yeah. rehab. It's like, oh, OK. Yeah, it was just like, ooh, yeah, you know, like, I, I don't know. It was really ugly in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, don't know. I really got the impression that John Pike had a an axe to grind. Yeah, early just because like. And I wonder if part of it is because, like, when you think of people that are responsible for Star Trek and, like, who get credited as being people that brought Star Trek back, no one thinks of him. I didn't even know this guy existed Uh, outside of this documentary. This is literally the first I've heard of him. I I was trying to look up information about him, and I searched for John Pike, Star Trek, and, of course, all I got were Christopher Pike. Christopher Pike, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's like... I, I he's kind of been left out of the narrative, and I don't know if that's because he's legitimately a more a, a minor player, or if he's actually an un, like because to hear him tell it, it sounds like he is single handedly responsible for Star Trek: The Next Generation, yeah, happening. But he, nobody ever talks about how John Pike heroically saved Star Trek. Right, exactly. Like, I, I, I mean, I've been huge into Star Trek my whole life. This last night when I watched this was the first I'd heard of this man. Yeah. I mean, we've seen all of our time talking about the show, even on here. We've never, you know. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen his name on Memory Alpha, for fuck's sake. <laughs> well, he didn't but, write any of the shows. He wasn't a producer. He was just the studio executive that, you know. Yeah, said okay and did some shopping. Yeah. And yeah, it feels like Pike is maybe a little bitter that he's not the guy who said, let's take a chance on Star Trek again. And maybe part of it is because, like, you know, again, there wasn't a show, but Star Trek did still exist at the time. You know, five had just come out. Six was in the works. And like, yes, had TNG not then come out, Star Trek probably would have stopped because six was very clearly like an end point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a little different, though, you know, like. It's it was still kind of a going concern 
And you're, yeah, you're just one of the many nameless, faceless suits at Paramount who signed off on something. Yeah, there was it's a- also, sorry. Uh, there was a there was a hot second when they were saying how they were you know ship uh, shopping the um the show around to all the networks and all these things. Yeah. And there was a woman named Lucy. I forget the last name because I just thought like Lucy because Lucy's are all the only people who are allowed to save Trek event. Yeah. Yep. Um, who says, "Oh, you should do a syndication," and they're like, "Yes, that that's a thing." Alex Kurtzman's middle name is Lucy, actually. <laughs> oh my god! I can't tell if you're joking. <laughs> he's joking good kill him there's, a, there's i actually did like that that was like the one thing that they explained to us like what is this what is this uh syndication whatever it's called thing and i thought that was interesting how like star trek the next generation was basically like available for any takers on any network or any channel Mm. As long as it wasn't under, as long as it wasn't at prime time or whatever, I thought that was actually kind of cool. Well, yeah, that's because like the big networks put their own shows on mm. at during prime time, right? But I remember, like at least in this market in the Boston area, I feel like yeah, it was on TV thirty eight, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was TV thirty eight. Yeah, so it was on. It wasn't. It was on a. It wasn't even on one of the big, you know, low number yeah, no. stations, big three or whatever. It's so funny that it was almost given to Fox when it was new. That would have been very interesting. Can you imagine? The early days of Fox, fucking Married with Children, The Simpsons, and TNG. <laughs> I wonder if Maybe though they could have had not a crossover. being picked up by a major network was a good thing in that it didn't, um, yeah, it wasn't bound to network concerns and maybe they had a little more creative control than they would have had at a network. Oh, yeah, no, they probably had more creative control. They had, you know, you know, like, yeah, the, 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 it didn't have a regular time slot because it was whoever grabbed it when put it whenever. But like, you fucking know, like, I mean, networks love just randomly shuffling around time slots once you've gotten used to a show being in a certain place. And especially early days, Fox, like, it's a hard call if they would have canceled it because of low numbers or because early days, Fox were like, any viewer is a viewer, thank God, that it would have, like, become a centerpiece or not mm. but the really interesting thought is had it come become entangled enough with fox would disney now own it oh my god you don't get to have both disney does that make troy a disney princess <laughs> no because she wasn't a princess i don't know i feel Her like mother uh, was holder of the key or whatever of beta Z. but we don't yeah. know if that is uh like she's the daughter of the seventh house or whatever but which that i guess i would expect to be you know generation by generation but we can all the key might not be that could be an elected mm. we can all agree she's at least a disney duchess also if if uh wikipedia is to be believed alexander kurtzman's middle name is hillary cool Wait, are you joking no no now i am speaking the truth okay okay again this is on wikipedia someone could have analyzed I mean, it I, I believe it it's just i i mean it's 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 funny in a way. Yes. He joked that he had his middle name was Lucy, but his middle name turns out to be Hillary. Yeah. Very interesting. I think it is technically spelled the guy way, quote unquote, but no I one actually names men. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever Hillary known a anymore. Man named Hillary. Yeah. Sure no. exists. I remember it, there was it, a restaurant called JC Hillary's, but that was a last name. Yeah, like it used to be that Hillary could be a man's first name, but it's spelled differently. But I think that, again, that fell out of fashion like a century plus ago. It sounds British. It sounds very British. Yeah. And then, even then, the only one I can think of is a surname, Sir Edmund Hillary. Yeah. Maybe people were naming their kids after, after Edmund. Sir Edmund Hillary. Mm. Maybe. Here's a, here's a random note to, to drive us back. Yes. The working title of the documentary was Wacky Doodle. Because that's that, what that phrase did yeah. get brought up a lot. So it was much. a very common Thank thing. You, they Maury. sang a song at the end. Who the fuck says the wacky song was doodle? the song was from two thousand? The song was from two thousand eight, though, so it wasn't even written for the documentary. I assumed it was written for the documentary. No, it's so I stupid. Brief, you know, look in the credits; it pops up. Copyright two thousand eight. That fucking song already oh, existed. No. I thought you were lying again. No, I thought he was going for double. Or I misread the credits. That is possible. But as far as I understand, I am not lying right now. So, Maurice Hurley, that guy who, who was known for doing a cop show, 
pretty yep. much. Miami Vice. Like, and he looked like former military. Mm. It wasn't clear. Like, who hired him? Like, who thought that this was the right guy to bring on? I don't know. That's another thing that was left a bit vague. Like, that would have been good to know, I think, in this because the the point that I got was that clearly this was the wrong fit for this series. Yeah, there and... was a moment. I feel like I feel like did Pike and or the lawyer dude bring them in because there was that little there was a little scene with all the names of the writers from TNG or TOS who we remember so so Dorothy and uh, David Gerald Gerald. And then their names get swapped out with these new assholes who we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't clear to me if they were. Because it sounded like, you know, that Dorothy and David were like, like the heirs apparent. Yeah. Being, you know, that they worked on the original show. And it sounds like that they kind of got usurped by. Yeah. By the, the you know, Hurley and, and others. But it wasn't clear to me, though, if like Hurley was brought in and then promoted above them or if he was brought in initially to be like the head writer. It sounded like he was brought in as just one of the writers and then managed to get promoted to be head writer. Mm. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah, it was very unclear. But honestly, I got to say, like as much as as I respect DC Fontana and, and the TOS writers, I'm kind of glad they didn't become the showrunners on TNG just based on some of the stories like I don't know I, I I'm glad that ultimately new writers came in people that were outside the franchise that didn't yeah. have baggage yeah they were able were to embrace fans. the different show like, well, yeah. like we've said before the show hits its stride at season three when it's an entire writing room changeover, yeah. you you don't have any of the original writers really anymore. And it's basically, and, Michael the yeah. Michael Pillar show, which is a good show. I didn't realize part. Michael Pillar had died. That was sad to learn. No, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, they, they don't like, mention it because they were they were talking about him in the past tense a lot in the documentary. I'm like, why are they doing this? Uh, and what did we learn? He died in like 2005. Oh wow, yeah, something like that. He died a long time ago, but and like. Of a nasty, nasty cancer too. So oh, poor thing. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that it turned that it went that way. Even if even if we had to suffer through those first couple of years, I think that getting that writing team into the room, you know, and that in a in a way is what got us to DS9 because I feel like yeah, the people that were involved in DS9 were also kind of part of that class. Yeah. Yeah, and then Gene's dead, so they're able to like light the box on fire a little bit. Well, that's yeah. also really interesting too, right? Because you know they did talk about that shift from being plot driven to character driven, and I do wonder how. So like DS Nine didn't have to go through that particular growing pain; like they just started out as a as a character drama, and you know I think we'll all agree that the early seasons of DS Nine, while they're still somewhat rough, are like you know, light years ahead of the first couple seasons of TNG. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, like, like Julian no. is cringy as fuck, and they have no idea what they're doing with Jedzia. But... And Jedzia wasn't sure what she was doing Jedzia no, then either. No, that's she true. Got better. They both, they all got better together. Yeah, like, but I think that's probably, you know, there's nothing as... It was never as, like... Yeah, I remember going through the first two seasons being like, oh my god, can we get to season three already? Fucking yeah. save me. Well, so much Whereas, of it is, like, I know Michael Piller put in a ton of work in the characters specifically of DS9. And I feel like the first many seasons of TNG, they didn't even bother with most of the characters. Like, yeah, poor, poor Bev Crusher almost never got to be a character. Yeah. Yeah, she never fully recovered from from that. Yeah, well, and I wonder just like if by the time they kind of got their shit together as a, as a, you know, the writing team, it was like maybe too late to save some of these characters. Like, I, yeah. I think that I think Data got a good, good character stuff. I got to think Picard got good character stuff. I think Worf got good character stuff. I don't think, you know, really anybody else. I mean, they tried to do some Jordy stuff, but I don't think it worked because it basically just made him a creeper. I was going to say, because he was always just cringy. He's yeah. like trying to get ladies to fuck him in the holodeck. Then he decides to fuck a hollow person of a real person. 
and then gets mad when she doesn't want to do them. And then he like falls in love with some woman's like logs too. <laughs> it's like Jordy. Well, just, I mean, just the fact that like he hadn't even been the engineer at first, and then they were like, "Wow, this not having a chief engineer thing actually really <laughs> doesn't work." Yeah, but um, yeah, and I don't think I don't think Crusher ever really gets good stories. I don't think Troy ever got good oh, stories. Whoa, whoa, whoa! She got the one. Sub Rosa, come on! <laughs> oh, oh, right. You're the not one Nana. being face of the Nana's enemy, Chris. Dead. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Face of the Enemy is on the one hand such a good episode, but also such an enraging episode. Because like if you had written for her like this from day one, yeah. you fucks. She could have been like oh, everybody's yeah. favorite character, but you made her garbage. Well, yeah, you, it's the rule. She's right? a walking yeah. leotard. Yeah. Well, and they also like I feel like they did the same thing that they would go on to do with Jadzia. They just kept trying to like like slap her together with men yeah. all the mm-hmm. fucking time. Yeah. It's like it's like guys, women don't just exist to find men. We're not like what? fucking <laughs> what do you call it? Tithing rods or whatever the fuck trying to what are they called? You divining know what I'm talking about. Divining, divining rods. rods. What are dousing rods. rods? Yes, one of those things. Like looking for men. That's just no. not like the what uh, uh, can I tell you what uh, I found most disturbing about this whole documentary? <gasps> yes. Iris Stephen Bear's fucking stupid <sighs> asshole beard. I like Iris Stephen Bear He still has that beard to this day. Like, is he still dying it blue? Yes. He, I like, hate that's it. That's his signature look. Is, yeah, is well, the blue, his signature look goatee. is I'm an asshole because he <laughs> looks like a fucking douche. Oh, I like it. I like Iris oh, Stephen Bear I ha- No, I like Iris Stephen Bear. I hate hate his beard i think i think he's just he's such a quirky guy like you look at him and you're like yeah you wanted iggy pop on ds9 yeah you wanted a crooner in the holodeck on ds9 you're this guy and he just looks like it and you can tell it's funny too because they show the photos of him young and uh he was clearly taking a lot of his style cues from a young um oh darn it not john paul jones the bassist for the who pete no, Pete nope. Townsend is the... Yeah, Pete John Townsend? Entwistle. John Entwistle. If you look at young John Entwistle in the pictures of young Iris Stephen Bear on the TNG set, a lot of similarities. Same sort of like, same length, wavy hair, short beard, and round sunglasses. Like, it's like, oh yeah, now I know exactly who you're trying to look like here. Yeah, I did warn Caitlin, get 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 ready for more of that blue beard when we get yeah, to uh be in the other doc too. Blue beard. It's funny, Hate we looked it. actually we we were skimming past that on Prime. And uh you know, it has the cast list. And for some reason everyone has a headshot except poor Max Groden chick. Oh. It's just a picture of him as Nog. Yeah, Rom. Okay. Rom, I mean. And it's not even a good picture. It's like you can't even see his face. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a it, profile picture. I think it might be from the episode where um, the Grand Nagus got his brain fried by the prophets because he's like sitting in a window reading a book. Nah. And I, so I think it's that episode where he's like oh. reading the new rules of acquisition or whatever. Right. Oh, that could be it. But uh, yeah, no. Either way, you can't. You can barely see him. It's like what the fuck? Who at Amazon did Max Grodenchik piss off? Yeah, Jake and I just did a rewatch of um, Farscape. And they have, you know, all the little bios of the people, except for Anthony Simcoe, who plays Dargo, who's just a big, burly creature thing with like octopus tentacles and lots of hair. And it's just mm. that picture of Dargo. Mm. And you're like, but I don't, I have no idea what you look like as a person. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I think I read that he basically retired from acting Aww. and now does other stuff. But he is lovely as Dargo. I was pleased that Rick Berman looked like as much of a douche as I expected. His eyes were watering like the whole documentary long. He was taking his cues from Shatner. Yeah, maybe he was just looking at Shatner. You know, like sometimes when you're looking at somebody and their eyes are watery, your eyes will start to water. That's that's like some kind of sympathetic response. Sympathetic response. See, I was going to say that that day. uh, They both had the meat sweats because they had like a full Irish together that morning. (laughs) Shatner put on too much drug ar noir that morning and it was just really getting to him. Now, my joke was like he was filmed after Denise Crosby, and when they pass each other in the hall, she kicked him in the nuts. Nice. I like it. God, I wish. And then Terry Farrell was there because she just happened to be recording some Becker that day. And so then she (laughs) punched him in the balls, too. Oh, I I know if you guys saw this. It's not related to this at all, but it's nice. 
one, I think it was Terry Farrell on their Instagram, either way, either Terry Farrell or Nana Visitor posted a picture of them hiking together. Oh, yeah, somewhere. It was they, they both did. And they do it often. I think they spend a lot of time together. That's, That's nice. so cute, which I love. Yeah. And they both still fucking just gorgeous. And I love them and I want to go hang out with them. But that's that's Deep Space Nine. We're talking about the early day. Oh, speaking of stupid. Yeah. Mm. I don't know what asshole drew the little cartoons, mm. but they labeled the original Enterprise NCC 1700. Oh. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. I didn't know yep. That. You see it a couple times and the number is wrong and it was so annoying. Oh, it's supposed to be yeah. 1770. 1701. 17, yeah, that's what I said. 1701. You're Nobody off the podcast. A, okay. B, C. Or D. Yep. The seventeen seventy six. I think that's where I was looking. Numbers yeah. wise, just then was seven. Oh, that was a weird transition. I really did not connect. Like the the poker metaphor only made sense because there was one point where Shatner said to Pike. John Pike, "Oh, you're you must play poker," and Pike was like, "Sometimes, you know." Well, I think you're a big game player. I got the feeling that Shatner already had in his head that he wanted to do the poker metaphor and was trying to force it from the show. They already got the art done. And they're like, shit. Yeah. (laughs) And Uh, then like the comic book. Thing didn't make sense. Like the the art style just did not. No. And then couple that with with like square dancing music. (laughs) Yeah. It just made everything seem goofy. It made it seem like they weren't taking it seriously when these were people's like lives and careers they were talking about. And they were clearly still very serious about it. They're like I said, these are people 25 years later who are still angry. Or dead. Or dead. Angry or dead. Angry and dead. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say, why not Porque no los dos? Oof, boy. Yeah, it's 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 a weird thing. <laughs> uh, it really is. And um, I like seeing the new trick bad people. Oh, because yes. It does happen every single every fucking time. Fucking time. Wait, what? When there was the all the, the shot, all the little drawings of crowds like holding up the people not my signs. trick. It, yeah. If it doesn't yeah. have Shatner, it's not trick kind yeah, of people. Those, those people. Yeah, yeah those assholes. Yeah, yeah, no, every time the new show is anathema until a new one comes out and then suddenly, no, no, now it is revered. Maybe, maybe less so Enterprise. It's hard to tell. Because they accept Discovery, which they will always hate forever because we're, you know, just, uh... Well, yeah, New new Trek in general is all sort of lumped together, so... That's, yeah, that, that is one interesting thing about this, is that, of course, this was made in 2014 when, like, Star Trek itself had been in the wilderness for a while again. Well, like it hadn't been on TV. There'd been the Kelvin movies by this point. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Oh, eight, oh, nine, 2012 and. Or 2011 and. Yeah, maybe Beyond wasn't even out yet. I think it was. Yeah. So Beyond maybe wasn't even out at that point. But well, because at the end when they're like, look at how uh, how it continued, they showed the logos of. Of DS9 and Voyager and Enterprise and Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, I missed Into Darkness. Okay. They did. And I said, why Why did they pick that one? And Jake says, because if they just said Star Trek, it would be confusing. Yeah. yeah. Which and still that was, is So that confusing. was probably the latest thing that had come out at that time. Yeah. And even then, that was, you know, that's its own weird thing. Um, and it was just, it was very much like, what's happening with this franchise right now? Because, you know, I think 2014, you know, it could be that some of the gears were in motion, but no one was talking about it publicly yet. As far as what the next steps were going to be, because certainly by by the 50th anniversary, they'd announced the idea of Discovery. Right. Yeah. Because we were kind of quasi aware that something was coming when we started this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I think like by the time we'd started, they'd released a photo of the chair. Something like that, yeah. And maybe a partial cast list. Yeah, and we were all like, yeah, we'll believe it when we see it. Yeah. (laughs) To which I'm still like that every fucking day. (laughs) I want more from Prodigy. What's going on with that? I was going to say, especially now that it's like 15 more shows. Yeah. So many shows. But yeah, like I said, maybe that affected the tone, though, 
of this was that this was made at a point where Star Trek was like Still hadn't been on TV for a while. There was no sign that it was coming back, and it was at this like here's these weird sort of alternate timeline movies that are that don't count <laughs> because yeah, they're and a, because the they most, specifically found a way to rewrite it without it being in the fucking universe. And the most recent one that had come out at that point was fucking trash. So, like, you know, I kind of wonder, like, if you had made this documentary, say, now, mm-hmm. you know, where Star Trek is not just back, but, like, fucking a constant, almost. Where it's, like, it would have been maybe a little less, like, dour and pessimistic. Yeah, because they no, make kind of Star this... Trek today is dour and pessimistic, so. Well. We'll see about Prodigy, I guess. Maybe. But, yeah, you know, they make this kind of thesis at the end that, you know, if... If this hadn't happened the way it had happened, if either TNG hadn't happened at all, or if Gene and crew had kept control of it and none of this turnover occurred, there wouldn't be any more Trek after this. I would agree. It would it would have died. No, definitely. All these great writers like Bear and Moore and and other folk who we like. Brandon Braga. I honestly can't tell which episodes Brandon Braga has written, so I'd have to let like check and see. No, I just uh, think he was cute. <laughs> aww. He dated Jerry Ryan for a while. Oh, did he? That's funny. But no, yeah. I bet you they would never, they would have gone, found something else, and and their lives would have spiraled out in an entirely different direction, I bet. Because I know, like, now Moore has done a million fucking things. Most of them I find fascinating, because he did Battlestar. He's got, like, all seven future seasons of For All Mankind planned, and I'm like, yay. (laughs) I can't say enough good things about For All Mankind. Watch For All Mankind. Anyway, we're talking about cable packages, so I guess we're done. That's how bad this documentary was. (laughs) There were some interesting elements, but yeah, yeah, I... Just uh, maybe it's just seeing that documentaries these days kind of become television series. I want to see that. That would be cool. Yeah, like a more in depth one maybe takes its time, gets a lot more perspective, is less fucking depressing. Maybe get an executive producer that isn't William Shatner. More B roll. Yeah, I would love to see. What was that? And like, I kicked something over. (laughs) CBS. Viacom, Paramount, if you're listening, which I know you are, I know you're big fans of ours. Huge fans, yeah. Oh, I thought because they're just uh, what omnipresent. I would really like is a mini series, like you know, an HBO quality documentary series that's about how '90s era Trek came to be, and I want you to do it before the people involved are old, infirmed, or dead. And before and they frankly, have a they're all, to get any more bitter. Yeah, but a lot of them are already quite old, so get on it. Yeah. And bitter. Oh, yeah. mm. But him, too. Ironically, <laughs> our one listener from Paramount who we have now lost was John Pike. Damn it, Pike! No! <laughs> well, some would call that wacky doodle. Hey! I heard, I was reading, I was trying to, when I was trying to find information about John Pike, I looked him up, and it turns out he was actually severely burned in a warp core in, oh wait, wrong Pike. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Son of a bitch. All right. Well, if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, Star Who Steer. Her- Star <laughs> Steer by doesn't work. No. Star Busters. Unlike this week, what we do most weeks is we discuss episodes of Star Trek. This right now, we're working on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And next week, we're going to open season seven and discuss. Uh, episodes Image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols, where I'm sure nothing that happened at the end of the last season will come to bear fruit, and we're not going to find anything out about Pa Wraiths and Dead Prophets and Kai Wins and who Julian knows what else. Is, Julian is still moping that he can't bang Jedzia. <laughs> he probably does. Oh. Uh, about that. Oh. That's not Jedzia, though. Unless you're suggesting necrophilia, which is what I was suggesting. No, no, there is actually an episode coming, though, where he's sad about Jedzia. God damn it, Julian. Julian. I mean, I'm sad about Jedzia, but. Well, me too. Well, that's, yes, that's, but. Not because I, can't, not I can't put my dick in her, for Christ's sakes. I'm not sure if it's one of next week's episodes, but it's one coming up sooner than later. Gross. Well, Julian's always coming up one way or another. Oh, no. Anyway, 
If you like what you heard, you should definitely join us again next week. You can find our show right where you found it this time. But if you want some other ideas, like this one wasn't good enough, you can also, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, uh, nope, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. You can also get your star to steer her by fix when we're not releasing new episodes by visiting us on Facebook and searching a star to steer her by. We're also on Tumblr and Twitter at SSHB podcast, or you can visit SSHBpodcast.com, which is the home of our website where we post cool shit. Until next time, I have been Caitlin. I am Jake. This has been Chris. And this is always Ames. And we have been Wacky Doodle. (laughs) 